We're jumping in, you've heard, to a teaching series. The prophets, the, the issue that divides. Now, some people have, have already started talking, saying, hey, what are the issues that divide? It's not issues, it's the issue that divides. The, the prophets are the issue, and we're going to find that out. We're jumping into this series for the next seven weeks. We're going to unpack from Scripture uh, an understanding of, of what the prophets, Old and New Testaments, and beyond, and beyond. Today, we've got four passages, one, two, three, four, it will be done, and we'll set them up, each one. Now, let me just warn you. Prophets, they were not well-liked ever. That is, prophets, whenever they showed up, people, people resisted or ignored or even persecuted them. Prophets are not well liked. So I'm warning you, you're not going to like them either. And this might be the only sermon of the seven. Today might be the only one that you agree with. Because the rest are going to speak directly to some areas that we don't like to be corrected on. So you're, you're duly warned. Lord, we open our hearts as much as we can, which is really just giving you permission to open our hearts. We want to hear your voice. We want to leave here changed because we had an encounter with you. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness through the prophets. You've not given up on us. Today, you still haven't given up. So speak, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let me introduce it this way. Google, that behemoth, has said, hey, look, you want to you know what happened in 2021? We'll tell you. The top five trending, trending searches. Top five trending searches of 2021. Number one, the NBA. I have no idea how it landed number one. Number two, DMX. I didn't know who DMX was or what DMX was. I had to Google what DMX was. Found out now a top rapper through the 90s and early turn of the century. He died this last April from a heart attack, cocaine-induced heart attack. DMX. Number three, Gabby Petito, we know the story. Kyle Rittenhouse, number four, we know the story. Brian Laundrie, number five, we know the story. Top five trending searches. But then Google says, hey, we're not, we don't just look at the superficial anymore. We can, we can track what seems to be the golden threads through all the searches, what kind of questions people ask asking, because you Google a question. We'll track it down, they said. And so they, in 2021, reviewing the year of, of last year, in their words, they write, in a year which the world continued to face a devastating pandemic, among other global challenges, a theme emerged from the search data, the global pursuit of healing and finding a way forward. They said there were searches like, how do we recover from burnout? How do I maintain mental health? or related issues of the climate, or how do I conserve? How do I survive? Questions. 
And they compile and say, there's a golden thread. What's the golden thread? The golden thread is a global pursuit of healing and finding a way forward. When they say global, they mean global. All around the world, people are typing in whatever language they are comfortable with, asking the question, how do I survive? How do I live a world like the one we have? Google says 2021 was a year of seeking out reassessment of who we are, reflection, and growth. That's 2021. According to Google, the world searched for affirmation and direction online more than ever before. We we wanted help. We wanted help. Now, 2020, I know that's not 2021, but for the rest of our lives, 2020 and 2021 are just going to be one mass of time. 2020. The Macari Dictionary says the word of the year. They choose a word of the year, right? The word of the year. Now, there were two finalists, Rona and Doom Scrolling. Put the word on the screen so you can actually see it. Doom scrolling one out or beat out Rona. I wish something would have beat both of them. What is doom scrolling? The definition, the practice of continuing to read or expose yourself to news or conversation online, social media, or otherwise, despite the fact that it is predominantly negative and often upsetting. Now, we can blame CNN and Fox News, but they're not just talking about CNN and Fox News. They're talking about our social media. They're talking about our conversations. They're talking about what we talk about. They say we are constantly, electively, that is by choice, placing ourselves in the context of a doom-scrolling information. We are getting it from our friends, from, from each other. We're giving it to each other, and we're getting it from online, from on social media, from... And we're constantly doom scrolling. Now, it comes, of course, from that rolling with the mouse. But they're saying it's, just, it's much larger than the screen. Oh, they give tons of advice on how to stop this because it's so destructive. In fact, in the, in the report, they said there is not a single professional in the area of mental health that is standing up for our constant exposure to this stuff on news, social media, and with our friends. Every one of them is saying it is detrimental. It is destroying mental health. Doom scrolling. I found it interesting that that has been, through the ages, the accusations against the prophets. They've been accused, the prophets, of being doom scrollers. Ones that just give, oh, don't listen to the prophets. Don't ignore the prophets. All they are is doom and gloom. So we've turned our back on the prophets and ran right into the arms of the waiting world. It really is doom scrolling. Four passages. Our first one, Ezekiel 37. I want, to, I want to introduce Ezekiel 37 this way. Just a couple of weeks ago, Melanie and I, along with Cain and Micah, returned from a trip to the continent of Africa, the country of South Africa, where I was speaking for a convention, a congress of, for young people and the Adventist Frontier Missions. I loved working, calling, calling a group of young professionals from the continent of Africa, spread out throughout the whole continent. We had gathered together in, in South Africa to call them to a radical commitment to Jesus and to mission service. 
And wouldn't you know it, young people from the continent of Africa decided themselves to be missionaries. And not just to, they're not just going back to their own community. They're becoming foreign missionaries. The gospel has impacted Africa now where they are, they are now sending missionaries. It was a privilege. After eight days of uh, preaching at the Congress, we took three days to visit the Kruger National Park. You can't cover it even in three days, really. But for hours, we drove around the park looking for everything from dung beetles to the elusive cheetahs. Everything. Just looking for anything. Well, if you've been on one of these safaris, and the Kruger included, you know that sometimes you'll drive for hours without really seeing anything. But there's that anticipation. Maybe behind the next bush, maybe behind the next turn, there's going to be that pride of lions that we've been waiting for, right? The herd of elephants. Well, we, uh, in, in the conversations and, and understanding how it works out there in the wild, the big cats, the leopard, the cheetah, the lion. They actually, they actually stalk each other's juniors. We found this out. The leopards will stalk the, the junior cats of, the, of uh, the cheetahs or the lions and, and vice versa. One of the most interesting things we saw for me was the carcass of a cheetah that had been, that had been killed by a leopard and drug up in a tree. It was hanging off of a branch in a tree. Of course, it's sad to lose the cheetah, but it was just it was amazing to well, you got these predator cats, right? And they and they're hunting the kill. And it's 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 we've all watched the National Geographic where you kind of have this split personality where you're cheering on the cat to catch the deer, but it's but you don't really want the cat to catch the deer. You want the deer to get away from the cat. And so you kind of have this uh, split personality there. Well, when they when they when the when the predators catch the animal, there's still that hope, right? Maybe they pounce on them, and, and and the animal's able to twist or turn that first bite of flesh. They're able to escape from. There's animals that live with some injuries from being attacked, but they survive. But then on this list of 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 animals in the park are are the hyenas. Now the hyenas, this pack like group of wild dogs, are coming around, and then they can attack, but they are often the cleanup crew. So in come the cats, they do the kill, then the vultures pick away at some of the, the carcass, and then when just there's scraps of meat and, and skin and bones left, in come the hyenas. They clean it up. Skin, bits of flesh, and bones. They clean it up. But when you see the hyenas get there, you know that, that there's no hope for life. The hyenas show up. If the hyenas are eat, eating on some kill, there, there's no hope. It's down to the bones, right? There's, there's, there's no hope. We know. You see a bone, life is over. It's, 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 there's not a pile of bones, a skull. You're not gonna, there's no hope for life. Well, that's where Ezekiel found himself. Ezekiel chapter 37. He's found himself in vision. The hand of the Lord was on me, verse 1. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley, what was in the valley? It was a valley full of bones. Well, then God shows up and he says, he leads me back and forth among them, gives him a close view. And he says, I saw many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. So Ezekiel said, these were not even the bones the hyenas were after. These were the whitewashed, bleached out 
dry bones. Well, God says in verse 3, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, Ezekiel, like any one of us, none of us, we don't have to be uh, 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 a trained surgeon to know that dry bones are lifeless. Ezekiel, though, holds his tongue. He knows who he's talking to. And so he says, hang on, sovereign God, all-knowing God, you alone know. Ezekiel knows the answer, but he doesn't want, he's afraid of this trick question. God, what, I don't know. The answer is no. But just in case, you alone, oh God, know. Verse 4, then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now that's what prophecy is, the word of the Lord. So God tells Ezekiel, prophesy of prophecy. Give prophecy as a prophecy. And so he says, prophecy, uh, give, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign, and then he keeps going into verse 5. So, Ezekiel does this. Verse 7. Let's pick up in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, verse 8, and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. The word of God begins to bring these dry bones together. Tendons and flesh appear. Life is back on its way. But he says, then there's no breath in them. And so what does God tell him to do? Keep on prophesying. So he said to me, verse 9, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Keep giving them prophecy, the word of God. Speak to them. (laughs) And these dry bones... Come alive. That's why we sang the song, come alive. Dry bones come alive. Can these bones live? No, God, no, they're dried out. Can your heart live? No, it's dried out. It's empty. God's point, the prophetic word of God, the word of the prophets, as it originates from God and is passed on to us, brings life. Andrew's Bible commentary on this passage. Let me read it for you on the screen. It presents the prophecy that the lifeless dry bones will be brought back to life by the word of God. It's a prophecy of prophecy. That the prophecy will bring back life. Conclusion. Prophecy. The words of the prophets were meant to bring life. All right, text number two. This is our theme text for the series, 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20. You remember this? You can't forget the reference because there's two eyes. So 2 Chronicles 20, 20, 20, 20 vision. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 20. Jehoshaphat, he stands up and he says, hear me, O Judah and Jerusalem. I've got something to say to you guys. You inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Ah, believe his prophets and you will prosper. Jehoshaphat, what's going on, Jehoshaphat? What, what's, what's the context around you? It was a bunch of doom scrolling in Jerusalem. 
What was going on? Verse 2. Let's back up to just verse 2, and I'll put a line on the screen. A great multitude is coming against you. That's the news that Jehoshaphat had. Everybody was talking about. Is the Moabites? Oh, not that, not enough. The Ammonites had joined the Moabites, and it just kept stacking against Judah. The, conver- the news from the Chronicles, the C- Jerusalem Chronicles, it was all bad news. The Moabites are coming. The Ammonites are coming. We're all gone. We're all dead. We might as well die. And then the conversation on the street, it was just bad news. It was true, but it was bad news, and it was sucking the life out of Jerusalem. Just because something is true doesn't make it healthy to to expose yourself to. We say, no, it's true. So it's not gossip. Gossip is also true. It's just destructive. So the life, just the breath had been sucked out of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The news was just terrible. And so Jehoshaphat stands up and says, listen, Believe God, and we'll be established. What more? Believe his prophets, and we will prosper. Oh, beloved, God doesn't want to just have us survive. Some of us just feel like, if I can just survive, that would be more than I could hope for. And God's saying, I don't want you just to survive. I want you to prosper. I want to do more for you than you can imagine. I want to bless you. Amen. And so Jehoshaphat says, you've got to lay hold of the prophets. Lay hold of the prophets, lay hold of them, and you will prosper. Believe. He says believe. You can't believe in something you you don't expose yourself to. You can't believe in something you don't don't know. And so you have to know what the prophets say in order to believe them. And so he's inviting them to know what the prophets are saying. And then he says, you'll prosper. Prosper? Prosper? Nobody's, nobody besides a few, a few whacked out politicians are promising any prospering right now. But that's exactly what Jehoshaphat said will be the result of laying hold, of believing, of exposing, of knowing what the prophets say. Passage number three. What about the New Testament? Let's go to the New Testament. Second Peter. It's in the back of the New Testament. You've got Bibles, right? Grab your Bibles. You brought Bibles with you. You didn't, you forgot the Bible. I know that's an exception, but if you forgot, there's a pew Bible right in the, in the uh, pew in front of you. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one and verse 19. We also have the prophetic message, reads the NIV. I put the new King James on the screen. So we have the prophetic word confirmed. This prophetic word is confirmed. We have the prophetic message, which you do well to heed. There it is again. Believe, expose yourself to, understand, embrace. You do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. What's the the prophetic word is that light that shines in a dark place, a dead place, a dry place is what Ezekiel would call it, the dry bones. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. Are you hopeless? Do you feel helpless? Do you feel lifeless? Yeah. That's the doom scrolling. Every Expert on the planet is saying that's the doom scrolling. You're exposing yourself to the news and to the conversation, to the social media, and it's destroying you. It's killing you. It's sucking the life out of you like it did in Judah and Jerusalem. We have the prophetic word, though. 
Peter says that it can be placed in our hearts if we receive it, and it will be like a light that shines brighter and brighter until the morning star rises in your heart, until there's hope. It will introduce you to the person, to the morning star, to the person of Jesus, and there will be hope and life that rises in your heart. Oh, it doesn't stop there. Verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These prophets weren't speaking their own. They were just conduits. We often think of prophets like third-person commentators on, on what God is saying. They are not. Prophets are just giving. They're the venue. They're the avenue in in which God chooses to deliver his message. It's his word, and his word can create from nothing. So dry bones are a head start for God. Because his word, his word can bring life from absolutely nothing. A dead heart, that's not too much for God. Uh, we are all caught by the powerful words of Amanda Gorman. Back at the inauguration of the president, that moving poem, she said, let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true, that even as we grieved, we grew, that even as we hurt, we hoped, that even as we tired, we tried, that we'll forever be tied together victorious, not because we will never know again defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us, to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. And she's right. Scripture does say that. But if I could tell Amanda one thing, besides her words were powerful and moving, she ended with the wrong conclusion. She ends those lines read in D.C. just a year ago. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Amanda, it's not us. It's not me pulling myself up by any straps or tightening my belt or gritting my teeth. It's not me that brings the light that the scripture talks about. It's a prophetic word of God. That's what Peter's saying. He's saying, guys, we have a prophetic word confirmed. This has been delivered to us to give in the darkness of the night, in the darkness of your hearts. It, the prophetic word, will birth a light that will grow into the day star, the person of Jesus and hope. It is possible. She's right. But she's wrong in where it comes from. And so no matter how much I concentrate on myself, I will be better. I will be more hopeful. I will be more life-filled. I cannot do it. If I turn my back on the prophets, I turn my back on the very source of hope and life. Abraham Hetchel, the great thinker and rabbi, writes in his book, The Prophets. It's a fantastic volume. I read it along with a stack of others this winter break on the subject of prophets. And he shares, 
prophetic utterance is rarely cryptic. It's actually just the suspended between God and man. It is urging, alarming, forcing onward as if the word gushed from the heart of God, seeking entrance to the heart and mind of man. That's the prophet's job is to take God's words from his heart and somehow get them to our heart. And we hate them because of it. Finally, Passage number four. Let me introduce it this way. I love planes. But I don't really love planes. I love the flying that happens. I I love the, the wondering who's on that plane? Where are they going? What are they thinking? I had the privilege, the privilege, somebody was kind enough to give Micah and I two tickets this last year to the Blue Angel show. And Micah and I went and sat on the front line watching these Blue Angels. And, and not once, I just admit, I'm just going to confess to you, not once did I ever think about, I wonder what's, what's pushing those engines. I wonder how that works. I just wondered about the pilot. I wonder what he's thinking as he Guns those, those powerful jets forward. I wonder what they're thinking when he's riding upside down, when he's shooting straight up, when he's coming straight down. I wonder, about, I wonder what it's like when they sit around after a show and they talk about how flying and what do Blue Angel pilots talk about after you've just done that? What's, the, what's left to do? It's not like you're going to dream up anything. Oh, yeah, someday it'd be cool. It'd be, be really cool to just... Uh... They, they've gotten there. Not once do I think about the mechanics. When I get on a plane, or I, I, I have an app on my phone. Mike and I like to look at this app, uh, the, the plane app. I'm going to put it on the screen for you, just a screenshot here. We look at the planes all around the world, every commercial flight in the world. You've got, you've got on the plane, and, and you can pick the flight. You can just click on it. And then slowly they will, they will appear. That's not all the planes. They're coming. But you click on the plane, it will tell you how high it is, how, uh, how far it is from its destination, how far it is to its destination. And uh, I get on planes all the time and, and forget. I have no idea whether it's a 737, 7, 7, 7 something, something. I don't even care. Who's on the plane? Who are the people on these planes? Where are they going? What are they doing when they get off? Are they going for pleasure? Are they going to get away from something? Are they going to something? Somebody's wiped the planes off the planet today. They're they're coming, though. They tell me they're coming. But that's what I think about when I I see a plane in the sky and we're on the approach to Denver there where we live, and so we get these planes coming over our house. I wonder where they're coming from. I look it up. They're coming from Spokane. I couldn't care less about what the jet engine is in the plane. Now, some of you are mechanical, and, and we need you. We need you, but, but that's not me. I just think about the people. Well, in a real world, in a perfect world, that uh, map would be covered with planes. <laughs> They're not... They're not coming today, but I do, I do appreciate the AV trying it, trying it for me. 
Uh, Melanie and I, we resonate with that as well. People. We love people. We, we have a special, a special hanging in our house just about people. Let me, let me put that picture on the screen now that the planes are disappearing on us. Yeah, this is a picture. It hangs on our wall. It's every Christmas card that we get with your picture on it. We cut it out, and you get to be a... Melanie spends concentrated effort, okay? Oh, man, why did they... They're the big family, so they have to go here. And they're this, they got the small picture, so they can go here. And, they, and uh, oops, sorry, the dog doesn't get to stay in the... And she cuts it out and reorganizes, and it's a puzzle piece. And then we hang it in our house for the whole year to look at. If you sent us a Christmas card with your picture on it, your picture's on our wall. If you didn't send us a Christmas card, I, I wonder why. <laughs> we love people. Wouldn't, it not, wouldn't you know? Turns out that that's what God is all about with these prophets. Turns out that heaven's entire purpose in sending the prophets is not for God to make a statement, a defense about truth. Hey, I just need to educate these people. I'm going to send a prophet. He'll correct them, let them know that they're wrong. The whole point of the prophets is to communicate the heart of God to our hearts, to, to, to connect us in relationship with God. God is all about people. Yes, is there truth? Is there absolute truth? Yes. Does it sometimes contradict what we do or what we believe? Yes. Which is why we're often slow to appreciate the prophets. But the prophets' mission was not to defend some abstract truth of heaven, but to connect heaven with us and us with heaven. Here's, you'll see it right here. You'll see it in, the, in our final passage, uh, Luke chapter 13. The passage is also in Matthew, but we're going to go to the Luke one. You got it? You got your Bibles? I tell you, one day, one day, one day, we are going to kill that projector. Ah, you're duly warned. All right, Luke chapter 13. I'm about a page off all the time. Here, Luke chapter 13. Jesus now weeping his heart out. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, those who, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I would have longed to gather your children, you, your children together as a hen gathers its chicks under its wings, but you were not willing. What's he talking about? He said, I sent you the prophets. Why? So that we would be close. I could be your protector. I could be your, your provider. And you weren't willing You rejected the people I sent to you, killed the prophets, the very ones that I sent to you to draw you to me, you turned your back on. You called them doomsdayers and you didn't have time for them. One of the Israelite kings, right? Don't pay attention to the prophets. They only only bring you bad news. Jesus is saying, no, they weren't. That's not at all what they brought you. They brought you a connection, but you weren't willing to listen to them. How often? You know, you know what that expression means? How often means that he did it very often. How often? It was repeated over and over. He was exasperated. Oh, if, if, I, if, if I just send one more, if I just do it one more time, if I just do it one more, if I just one more, one more, maybe they'll hear them. And then he sent his son. What does he say? Because you weren't willing, look, 
your house is left to you desolate, hopeless and helpless. What, is it, what does desolate mean? Desolate means doom scrolling. We turned from the, from the ones who brought hope and life, the prophets, and we turned our attention to the world with social media and media and our friends. And we exposed ourselves to that. No wonder we feel so desolate. No wonder our hearts are so dark and dry. What were the prophets? This is what they were. A little story, a boy, a little boy, Sprawled out on the kitchen floor, paper and crayons, coloring picture. Mom walks in and sees little Junior on the floor, her budding artist, and kind of leans over and tries to. What are you? What are you drawing? Oh, he says, looking up into his mother's face, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, how? How do you know? How do you know if nobody's seen God? Nobody knows what God looks like. Oh, he said without missing a beat, they will when I'm done. That's the message of the prophets. Hey, we have been, God's heart has been poured out. We've got this message. Oh, if you would only pay attention, you would know what God looks like. You would, he would, the day star would, would dawn in your life. You would know your provider, your creator, your savior, the one who can give you life. <sighs> but we turned our backs. Why did we turn our backs? Abraham Heschel, again, in his book, The Prophets, he writes, almost every prophet brings consolation, promise, and hope of reconciliation, but they also bring censure. He begins with a message of doom, of correction, but concludes with a message of hope. That's what censure, we turn it off at the censure. No, don't tell me I'm wrong. I don't want to know I'm wrong. TikTok says I'm right, by the way. So that's where I'm going. But every prophet comes with this, this message of correction and we resist it and we throw it under away saying it's, you're just always negative. No, says the prophet, just hold on. Just hear me out because from this, I'm going to give you a, a message of hope and a reconciliation of light and life, but we don't like the correction, and so we plug our ears and hum a tune so we can't hear anymore. Like I said, prophets were never well-liked, and as much as we want to pat ourselves on the back and look down our long noses and say, but I'm different, I don't mind the prophets, I like it. I warn you, the prophets, as they bring hope and reconciliation, they will also speak correction. We don't do well there. But if we're willing to listen, if we're willing to listen, I believe we will find life springing up inside of the dark of our lives. I know they're, they're old, ancient words, Reminds me, I just read a story coming off of, uh, from Massachusetts. The, well, from Germany, really. The, the soldiers, Sergeant Gonsalves, not Gonzalez, Gonsalves. He's writing a letter to his mom. 
after World War II. He writes the letter, sends it. It's after World War II. He's just there tying up loose ends. He's going to be home in a couple of months. That was December 6, 1945 is the date on the letter. Well, December 9, 2021, 76 years and three days later, a letter arrives to his wife. That is John Gonzalves, his wife. Well, John died in 2015 at the age of 92. But she gets a letter from the United States Postal Service that says, ma'am, this was so important, we tracked you down. There's another envelope. She's looking at the envelope. It's addressed to her late mother-in-law, the mother of her husband, who had passed away years and years earlier. Her husband had passed away just six years earlier at 92. So her her mother-in-law had been dead for decades. But there's a letter addressed from her husband to her mother. What the post office says is, we don't know what happened, but this got stuck in a machine in Pennsylvania, one of our postal distribution centers, and it's been stuck there. It got kicked loose somehow 76 years later. Angelina, the wife of the deceased letter writer, reads his letter. It was to his mom. But she says to the reporter, it was as if it was to me, and it brought life and hope from someone I lost six years ago. 76 years later, she says it came at the right time. I'm inviting our worship team up. The prophets have spoken. Over the course of thousands of years, they have shared the heart of God. Ancient words they are. But could it be like that letter that that arrived just a month ago? Angelina receives this. It's 76 years old from now her husband deceased. But she says, "This, this arrived at the right time. It gave me hope in the holidays. Living as a widowed woman. Could it be that God's word through his prophets could still arrive at the right time? That was we open and read them, expose ourselves to them. They could still bring life and light and hope to our hurting hearts. Here's the invitation I'd like to give you. Our theme song is Be Thou My Vision. The whole invitation is that we allow God to be our vision. What he sees is what we want to see. We want to turn our attention. Let him be our vision. Let him be our wisdom. I wonder though, I wonder if you would be willing to challenge yourself and your family to challenge each other as couples, to challenge each other as roommates and as friends, to challenge each other that for the next seven weeks, I promise you the world will not end in the next seven weeks. And if it does, you will know by not watching the news. But for the next seven weeks that you would take the time that you have given to media, to social media, to gossip, which may be true. When your friend calls and says, hey, I just want to tell you, you want to talk about this? The world's falling apart. That you would invite them to this seven-week challenge. Next week, it will be six-week challenge. 
But for seven weeks, we expose ourselves. We turn back from the doom scrolling and turn back to the word of hope delivered us from the heart of God by the prophets. That you would expose, pick a prophet in the Bible, read them over and over and over. Pick a prophet and read them. Expose yourself to them and see. And let's see if in seven weeks, God doesn't birth hope and life in our hearts. That's what he's promised. Let's take him and test him at his word. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.